Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken in all the Roman land. Now this was the very first census to be taken place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their hometown to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he was of the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary who 
was pledged to be married to him and who was due while they were there. She gave birth to her firstborn. She wrapped him in cloths. She placed him in a manger because there was no guest rooms available to them. Now, there were shepherds who were nearby living out in fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. When an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and these shepherds, they were terrified. But the angel of the Lord said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will be of great joy for all the people. You see, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's a Messiah, the Lord, and they'll be assigned to you. He'll be wrapped in cloths, and he'll be lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, and they were praising God, singing, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone back into heaven, the shepherds looked at one another and said, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing the Lord has said has happened and told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they seen this, they began to spread the word concerning all that the angel had told them about this child. And all that heard it, they were absolutely amazed at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary, but Mary, she, she treasured up all these things and she, she pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned and they were glorifying God, praising Him for all that they had heard and all that they had seen, which was exactly as they had been told. Merry Christmas, Forest City. Have you ever noticed the irony that is in Christmas movies? I mean, think about it. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. The irony is what makes him an outcast is also what makes him a hero. Or think about Home Alone. The legend of Kevin McAllister. He wants no part of being with his family. And then he ends up finding himself alone, fighting off the wet bandits. And then he realizes how much he loves his family. Or let's talk about probably the greatest Christmas movie of all time, Die Hard. The irony of that is it came out on July 15th, 1988. It's not a Christmas movie. Or let's, let's talk about The Grinch Stole Christmas. The irony here is the Grinch steals it, but then gives all of the presents back after he sees this young Cindy Lou. What's amazing about all of these movies in Christmas, I didn't even talk about the Christmas story, where Ralphie, all he wants is a Red Ryder BB gun, but his parents tell him if he gets it, he's going to shoot his eye out. No, no, I want an official Red Ryder carbonation. Do you want to get ready my lay rifle? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Merry Christmas. Probably my favorite Christmas movie of all time. It stars one of my favorite actors, Jimmy Stewart, A Wonderful Life. And here we're reminded that even the poor can discover that they're rich. See, all, all of these movies have this certain sense of irony. In literature, there's three types of irony. 
You kind of have verbal irony where it's just kind of where the speaker's intent is incongruent with actually the, spirit, the, spe- the speaker's words. Or, or you have this dramatic irony where you have this audience actually being in the know and the main characters not so much. But then you have situational irony. And this is where the expectations are far off from reality. And that's really what irony is. It's where it contrasts our expectations in reality, which is what the Christmas story truly is. It's ironic that the God of all creation would come here. No, the religion tells that story. If you look at John 1, 1, it says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then you skip over a few verses to John 1.14, and it so beautifully says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Or in Eugene Peterson language, the word came here and moved into the neighborhood. What's amazing is this irony is a God of all creation willing to come here, but it even goes farther than that. You see what Paul writes in Philippians chapter two, he talks about what this Christ, this word, this son of God was willing to go through to come here when he says this, who being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And I love this whole idea that he emptied himself out. In Greek, it's this word kenosis. He literally becomes nothing. Everything that he could use for his own advantage, for his own access to more power, he empties out. Everything that he can rely on, he empties himself out. And he takes on flesh and blood like you and me. And I love what G.K. Chesterton, one of the greatest writers, says. He says these words, a certain everlasting essence when he chose to become man, chose with superb irony to become the humblest man. Not born in the best hospitals, not going to the best schools, but in a poor village, in a poor town. The irony is that God entered the story. But you have to ask yourself, why, why would the man who flung the stars in the sky come to this earth to sleep under those star, same stars? Why? Well, Isaiah, the great prophecy, says that for to us, a child is born. And to us, a child is given. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's not actually irony. See, irony contrasts expectations and reality, but there's something that even goes farther the more that you dive deeper into this understanding of irony and its wonder. See, irony contrasts expectations and reality, but wonder surpasses our expectations and reality. See, when you actually begin to recognize that the wonder of the incarnation is for us, for us, a child is given. For us, a child is born. For us, the word became flesh. For us, this word 
moved in to the neighborhood. For us, this child emptied himself out and took on the very nature of a servant. Even being willing to go to the cross, it's for us. And that's the wonder of it all. And you can go to John chapter 3, and you think I'm going to say 16, but I'm actually going to go to 17, where it says that the Son of God, God did not send his Son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God sent his Son not to condemn this world, but to rescue it, to save it. Now, what I want to do is I want to try and make this like really, really plain, because for me, I have been just enamored by the incarnation. I, I, for so long, I, I've always wanted to, to like understand it more, but I don't think I really, really got it. And I came across this quote, and I want to read the quote, and then I want to try and show it and depict it through some props. Look what this says. It's from a man by the uh, name of Robin Perry. It says this, in the incarnation, life, death, resurrection, and ascension, Christ brings humanity into the very triune life of God. So into the Trinity. Just think about it, Perry says. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all existing in perfect communion, but the Son has united human nature in his person so that humanity is now joined in Christ to the very inner life of God. So, so if you just hear this, you might be going, like, okay, what does this really mean? So I'm gonna, I need some help. So I'm going to bring in Sharman. Sharman, you're going to come and you're going to play Jesus. Come on. Oh, man, you are perfect. Uh, Bria, you're going to come and you're going to play the Holy Spirit. And, and Leonard, you are going to be the father. You are going to be the father. Now, now here's, here's the whole essence of the idea. That these three, in like biblical language, are one. Okay, three persons, but one. Father, Spirit, Son. But get this. They were one. But the way that Perry writes this, it's as if Jesus begins to recognize this world that is broken. Many of us who are just going through difficult times, this is our first Christmas without our husband or with our dad or without our mom. This is the first Christmas as a single person. This is our first Christmas where the whole family's not together at the table. This is our first Christmas. Or, or for some of us, we're looking at our life and we're like, man, I don't actually have a sense of peace. I don't have any sense of wonder. And I want you to see this because what I love that Robin Perry does is he understands what the triune God was willing to do, not to condemn you, but to save you. So Sharman, imagine yourself as Jesus and it's as if you are like reaching out, reaching out for everyone. You're reaching out to the person who's grieving right now. You're reaching out to the person who feels like so lost. You're reaching out to the person who just feels like there's nothing that they could ever do. You're reaching out for the person who just feels so overwhelmed with addiction. You're reaching out. And what are you trying to do? I love how that last line does. It's as if bringing them into the inner life of God. See, at the heart of the incarnation and the heart of Christmas and the heart of the Christmas story isn't irony. It's wonder. Because what God wants your life to be is to be full of wonder because in Christ and through Christ, he will surpass all your expectations and realities. What the wonder of Christ will do is he will bring you in to the fullness of the Father's love, to being empowered by the Spirit, and to be set free through the gift of the Son. This isn't irony. It's wonder. 
And my prayer for every one of us is that through that story of wonder, it would lead us to understand that the God of all creation will always surpass our expectations and realities, which should and can and ought and might lead us to a response to go share that wonder to the rest of the world. Grace and peace. Merry Christmas, Forest City. Forest City Church, you can never predict the weather. And um, while it is incredibly snowy outside, it has been great that even in this way, we've been able to gather together and, and worship a little together and hear a message together. Um, you know, it was just a few weeks ago that at both of our campuses, we were able to talk about all that God has been doing over this last year in Elgin and in Rockford, and then to paint a picture about what 2023 might look like. All the opportunities that have come our way that the pace of our response is tied to the pace of your generosity. Ways that we could extend generosity um, right in both of our communities. Ways that we could partner internationally and make such a big difference in 2023. We know that God is doing such amazing things and we honestly, we wanna be a part of it. And we wanna invite you this Christmas season um, to be a part of that movement, what we see God doing um, really more than just a weekend of hope, a year of hope. Now, there's a QR code. It's right at the bottom of your screen. And I know so many of you have been praying about what your year-end gift might look like towards all that God is doing. Um, and we've said that at our Christmas services, it would be our chance to, to bring that together. And uh, while we can't gather together in person, we can do it right now. Um, we can bring our gifts together so that we can see God's kingdom advance in Elgin, in Rockford, and beyond. And so if you want to scan the QR code at the bottom of your screen, it will take you directly to our giving page, and you can give there. And let me just say, I'm so grateful for every single one of you that have been in a prayerful process for this moment, and I'm so grateful um, for all the opportunity that God has given us. And I know that if we go together, there's nothing that we cannot do for Jesus in his name. So um, let me just pray for a minute for all of us as we step into this moment of generosity. Father, I'm so grateful. I really am grateful for all you've done in this last year in Elgin and all that you've been up to in Rockford. I'm grateful for every person that um, is stuck in their home right now, but is safe and um, is able to be with their family and to celebrate with us. I pray that... Um, you really will be glorified in all of us as we step toward this season with generosity um, in our hearts and in our actions. God, thank you for sending your son, for making such a difference in the world, and for each of us that call ourselves followers of yours for saving us. We love you and we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name. Shining
City. Merry Christmas. Um, this wasn't exactly how we had planned it, but uh, I'm glad that we got to spend Christmas together. And you, you probably know this, but if you don't, we have one last tradition and we cannot let this one slip. So I've asked all of our friends, come, come. We, we like to sing a song together at Christmas um, at all of our gatherings. We've done this for years. And while you're there in your room, here's what we're going to ask you to just pull somebody close. Um, we're going to sing this song together. Might be a little bit of swaying in the background, um, but uh, Carrington's going to lead us in Silent Night. Oh, Andy, Andy. Oh, Andy, Andy. All right, come on, Andy. Yeah, we'll Here we go. I'll lead it. Yeah. 
Love you all. Merry Christmas. Woo! Merry Christmas!